This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Let the train! You are listening to Wide Truck it. I'm Dooner here with Michael Vincent, the dude, and a gentleman you've been seeing all day. If you've been watching this event, it's Alan Adler. We regret to inform you this is not the Apple event. Instead, we're going to be talking about <laughs> autonomous and trucks and electric vehicles. So if you're in the wrong place, I know what's Sick of me yet? Not sick of you yet. All right, good. Absolutely not. All right, introduce good. yourself to those who maybe listen to this on demand. I'm always I'm always having to say it, but I am the Detroit bureau chief for Freight Waves, Alan Adler. Great what to is, be with you. Great to be with these guys. What I mean, is, what does that title even mean? It doesn't mean a thing. Okay. It, what it means is people will tend to respond to a bureau chief faster than they will to a reporter. Okay. So like throw that out there. Executive. Yeah. It, okay. Basically. Yeah. yeah. So, so you, ask me how many people work for me. How many people work for you? Zero. Zero. Yeah. All right. Well, so it's like hero. a freight sales rep. They're all you know, VPs. Pretty much. I tried to get immersive coming in today. I drove an electric vehicle in today. I, I plugged in my, my Vespa last night, and I drove <laughs> it down here to get in. We have some awesome guests today. We also want to thank some of our sponsors. Uh, we have Plus, Torque Robotics, Uber Freight, regional sponsor Locomation, and we've got a content sponsor, Volterra. And I thank all of you for tuning in. And those that have, those that have registered, they can win a cooler. They can win a Yeti soft cooler, Michael Vincent. Sweet. We oh, haven't given away that. Kaylee Nix, and Alan will give it away at the end of the show. But if you want it, right, there it what is. you got to say about the it. The color is mustard. Yes. Okay. Just oh. saying, the color of the cooler. It's a mustard it's colored a mustard cooler. It's a mustard colored uh, cooler. With brown tannish highlights, as Alan needed Correct. to point out. There goes live.freightways. <laughs> the, zipper, <laughs> the zipper might be black. I'm not sure. To register. And at the end of the event, you may win this thing. Now, before we jump into our first guest, what have you learned so far? I've learned a couple things today. One is the, the SPAC stuff was fascinating with Vince, with Vince Kovic this morning because he told us that sports bettors who were bored with nothing to bet on jumped into the day trade business. Yeah. And therefore, lots of money flowed into SPACs that maybe wouldn't have. I, you know, I don't think it's just sports traders, though. I think it, like, extends into retail trading. If you look at 2020, like, even here at Freightways, we used to have a thriving uh, stock Slack channel and SPAC Slack channel. Yeah. It was free money. You could be an idiot, and you could make a, a lot of money every single day. You helped buy your changed. house with yours, you idiot. It did. Yeah, I, nice know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> and then that went up in value, so thank you very much. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. <laughs> don't get me into trouble up here. Let's talk to Frank Mabry. He's the network analyst over at Torque Robotics. And I know something about him. Before he was training autonomous trucks, he was training Georgia Bulldogs over in the athletics department. Right? Very cool. That's true, isn't it, Frank? That's very true. Wow. Okay. <laughs> well, Frank, introduce yourself. What, what brings you here and what's good with Torque? Well, everything's good with Torque. Uh, you know, it, it brought me here. We just, we're, we're trying to get the word out about Torque Robotics and what we're doing and how we're doing it. And I uh, thought this would be a good venue to do that. But yeah, uh, if you, you give me that shout out, for go dogs, I guess we had a pretty good weekend. Long season left, but uh, we're ready to go. <laughs> you sure did. Well, speaking of good seasons, you need to have a good playbook in order to be good at Georgia Bulldog football. And you also need one in freight, especially with EVs, right? And when we talk about range and all those things, the initial launch of these, we're talking more about like hub to hub networks, aren't we? What are those? 
Well, you know, for us, you know, for, for autonomous vehicles, we feel the best way or the fastest way to go commercial is through the hub to hub model. Uh, as you start adding the surface streets and, you know, going into uh, different yards and, and chippers and, and manufacturing yards, it gets a little more complicated. But, you know, for hub to hubs, you have a hub strategically located in uh, one of your, uh, your freight, your, your high freight network areas. And uh, it's just kind of like intermodal. You have uh, a, a human driver doing the, the first mile and the final mile. You bring it over to the hub. You put it on an autonomous vehicle, say from Phoenix to Oklahoma City or Memphis. And then the next morning, you know, you wake up, it's there. You got another guy picks it up and uh, he, he makes the final load so that your truck loads up in Memphis and heads back the other direction. So the same thing happens the next morning. So, so Frank, this is Alan. What, what, when were you guys? Uh, I've been with you. I've actually ridden your truck, the Freightliners, out in New Mexico. When will you actually start doing some commercial loads? Uh, do you have a, a timeline on that that you can share? Well, I don't really have a timeline. We're partnered with some very strategic partners. Uh, we've got some plans in the works to do that. Uh, to be honest, right now we've had our head down, and we've purposely done that to work on building the autonomous trucks, perfecting a safe uh, a safe vehicle. Uh, and, and doing that too, we have, uh, you know, we're an independent subsidiary of Daimler Trucks. So we're one of the few that we're designing the trucks with Daimler Trucks from the ground up, all the redundancies, backup systems, everything. Uh, so, But I think you'll see it, maybe the end of this year or first of next year, maybe we'll start doing Doing some uh, some freight pilots with with some of our preferred partners. Any any changes now that Peter von Schmidt's come in? Uh, you know, I mean, Michael Fleming is going to go fly around the world. He tells me, but uh, you know, in his, in his airplane. But uh, Peter von Schmidt coming in, how is that going to change things for you guys on a day to day basis, if at all? Well, it, it probably won't. I mean, that's a tough one. Michael to death. You know, was, this is part of his brainchild uh, developing uh, autonomous vehicles. He, you know. He, started it back in 2006 and uh, but we're very pleased i mean we, we're, we're very happy and excited with uh peter von smith coming in he's got the same energy uh impeccable resume so i mean we're looking forward to him taking us to the next level uh leading leading us to commercialization excellent stuff hey frank yeah i'm, I'm from the lt i grew up in ltl and we did the hub and spoke network i'm really interested in these hub to hub things and it seems like that's a shared type of thing. What's it going to take to get those hubs actually in place and operating the way you you see it? it? Sounds really, really efficient. Well, it is going to be efficient. It's actually going to strengthen your your, your hub and spoke model. Uh, so as one, you know, everybody talks about the driver shortage. Well, there's always going to be a need for physical drivers. So what that does is you have the you know the hubs in place so that you can keep your, your your drivers local, that can be home with their families more, make their lives a little easier, lead the long haul, the middle mile, whatever fits your company. So the main thing to get them in place is going to take a lot of commitment, uh, collaboration, and planning for our prospective uh, partners and customers. You know, our business model is, uh, is being an independent subsidiary of Daimler Trucks is we want to build and perfect the software, the technology, sell the trucks to our customers, and then help them implement them into their companies. 
So it's going to take a lot of planning and commitment on their parts to decide what is a hub going to be? Where is it going to be? A lot of them already have hubs in place. Uh, and I guess if you really compare it to intermodal, there's a lot of companies out there that have made a fortune in this same type scenario where, you know, you've got your, your local trucks that do the first and final miles. They take it over to the, the hubs or the ramps, as they call them, and uh, on both ends. Well, help me. So help me. It's just, well, Frank, help me create an image of this because you're, you're putting a lot of words here. Now it got me curious. When we think about these hubs, what does it look like? What kind of features and amenities would an autonomous vehicle hub have? You know, that's one of the beauty of working for a company with so many smart engineers that every way that we can. So it can basically look as you want it to look. It can be uh, a drop yard with a trailer on it. That, that's your office, and then you've got your personnel that, that receive and launch the, the loads of the vehicles. It could be the most technologically advanced yard in the world with, you know, uh, kiosks at the gates where the drivers come in. Everything is already in the kiosk. They punch a code in. We know it, the, the customer knows exactly, you know, who's there, when their appointment time is, what slot to put the, the trailer in, when to go get the trailer when to bring it over to the staging area to hook it up. I mean, it, it, you could have your own scales, your own maintenance facilities. I mean, it could as the limit. It just depends on what you want it to be. Yeah, you know, Frank, it sounds a lot like the uh, drop yards we used to have up in Ohio, or they still do, actually, between uh, the state lines, because you'd run triples across Ohio, but not Indiana and others, right? And yep. so you had to stop and break these things out. So, And that was an added value for everybody that was there. What's the value that other carriers and, and really other freight haulers would get out of these hubs? So it just depends on how you want to utilize the hub. But the value is using autonomous trucks is – You've got a vehicle that is not regulated by hours of service. It can run basically 24-7. So, I mean, you can you can schedule the trucks at particular intervals where they come in, they, they drop their inbound load, they get uh, either serviced or uh, at least inspected, then they're turned around and ready to go back out, you know, fueled and ready to go back out on the road again. So uh, it's one of those things where you can – Continuously, if planned correctly, and that's why I said planning earlier, if planned correctly, you know, you can keep these trucks moving, you know, pretty much 24-7. So, Frank, so I, I don't know we we'll get out of here pretty quick, right? I, I just want to ask you, one of the things that that uh, that Michael uh, Fleming would say of you guys as an independent subsidiary is you got the access to that Daimler customer base. I mean, you're, you're going to be having plenty of people. You don't have to go out and recruit people because you have the trusted Daimler you know, uh, lists, basically. You have the customer list, and and you're already able to work with them. Is that really where the torque model, say, over the Waymo model, because Freightliners obviously are working with them too, you know, you've got access to the customers. Is that right? Well, you know, to an extent, yes, we do. I mean, we're, we're using the Daimler Trusted name. Uh, part of uh, you know, our partnership or, or being part of Daimler is to actually design the trucks from the ground up so that they're specifically designed for autonomous vehicles. Then once it's safe, you go out to your customer, to, to Daimler's customers. And that's another one of our mantras, you know, Daimler's mantras, they're with their customer base. So with us, we want to sell the vehicles and not be a trucking company and then help those customers or prospective partners uh, integrate those into their, their system 
so that they can service their customers more efficiently with the utmost or the, the newest technology absolutely possible. Wow. Well, excellent stuff. Before I let you go, how would, how do you envision all this being controlled? Is it remote? And if so, how do you secure that? Well, of course, there's a lot of security features as far as the cellular capability, satellite, whatever, the, whatever that will be. But the trucks have to be self-contained so that if it goes through an area where there is no uh, connectivity, it knows exactly what it's doing, where it's going. It can operate without any, any outside control whatsoever. That is the safest way and the only way that, that you can really operate an autonomous vehicle on public roads. It's got to be safe for my family your family and everybody else's family to, to ride beside that truck and know that it knows exactly what it's doing and all the security measures. I mean, I can't say that uh, uh, nothing is hackable, but it's, it's believe me, the security measures goes into this. We've looked at it at every way, shape, form and fashion. Wow. Well, Hey Frank, thank you so much for answering some of our pressing questions. Yeah. It's funny because this year, unlike many other ones, it feels like we're really on the cusp of the commercialization of this. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of stuff has been happening in the yeah. background, but if you just read stories and headlines, it still seems kind of far off where this year it's been a much different makeup. Go check out Torque. go check out their demo. They're going to have here. And uh, Frank, maybe you'll win that cooler. So good luck to you. It's mustard, Frank. Mustard color. Yeah. yeah. Go silver bridges. <laughs> yeah. Mustard color. Well, take What's it easy. Georgia Bulldogs name. The Georgia Bulldogs name? Yeah, you know, the Bulldogs. Oh, it has a name? Uh, Bessie? Ugga. 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 Thank you. I kept thinking Thank Brutus, you, but that's Brutus. It used Buckeye. to be the red and blacks, and they were silver britches at one time. I don't know. Well, our next guest Something looks like ear. he has the answer. We got Fulton. Uh, we got Finch Fulton. He's the VP of Policy and Strategy over at Locomation. And he's oh, yeah. his birthday today. Woo! Happy fourth yeah. birthday to Locomation. Congratulations, guys. Yeah, we're very excited. And I will say it is UGA, and I have nightmares of UGA because we played them in the SEC championship game, which was good, and then the national championship game, which, you know, we had a rebuilding year last year, so we'll get them next time. <laughs> Where did you go? UGA. I went to Alabama. Oh, oh he was talking about Alabama. the play. Like I kept thinking Brutus tell you, By the way, that, that meme that y'all put out with the Power Rangers, I've had to explain to the fellow people that are going to be on today who the Power Rangers are and like the different Zorgs that were in there. No one else knows. I, I'm, I guess I'm the resident youth. Alan, do you know? Did you? I, I do because of my kids. Yeah, I get. Yeah, there's a Yellow Ranger, a Green Ranger. There's a Pink Ranger, and that's I what think. their names I mean, were: Yellow Ranger, Blue Ranger. I would think 45 Ranger. and younger would <laughs> yeah. probably know yeah. Power Rangers. Uh, too late. Too late. Too late. Too late. No way too late. Too late. Well, hey, how different is now than where you're at now, the maturity of Locomation on your fourth birthday? Yeah, so I mean, there's some, there's some key things. When I started, I was employee 31, so we've grown, you know, 127% in the last year. We're now around 140 people. We actually have four contracts, actual signed contracts, not like reservations or wishful thinking or people that have agreed to do a pilot with us, which is nice, but it's not, it's not a contract. So we're on contract for 3,100 units. Uh, everything is progressing. We've moved uh, more advanced operations on the road. We published our voluntary safety self-assessment to show how we're doing this all safely. Um, but really it comes down to some of the same things we've always been talking about. You mentioned that it feels like autonomous trucking is closer and it is, but there's some key barriers to everyone else being able to deploy in an actual commercially viable way that the way we've approached it is much more pragmatic. It's approaching the world as it exists today, not what we hope it'll be by the time we want to go to market. 
So, you know, we have an actual plan for deployment. We have actual timelines and we have actual customers, which that's not something anybody else can say. So we're in a really interesting place and a really good place. I'd say year four is looking pretty good. Year five is going to look much better. So Finch, I got to ask you though, uh, you know, and I asked this question of Don Burnett earlier, Don's coming on after you, but uh, you know, there's one big state that really isn't allowing uh, any kind of commercialization around autonomy right now. That's California. Now, of course you guys are in Pittsburgh, so maybe it doesn't matter quite as much, but the route, the ARC, the, the autonomous relay convoy, I still call it yeah. platooning. I know you hate me for it, but the fact is that the ARC is set up on certain routes. You're going to run dense routes, Right. That's right. That's yeah. So, I mean, look, our first customer was initially going to deploy in California all the way up to Washington, and they ended up deciding to go to Texas instead, which, you know, I guess everybody else is as well. But we can deploy in California uh, because we have a human-led two-truck linked convoy. We can legally deploy. So everything that prohibits level four or completely driverless autonomous trucking operations, we're compliant with. But it's not just California, and people like to wave their hands off all the time about this. If you have a level four autonomous truck that you're deploying without a driver, you can't legally deploy anywhere in the country unless you can have a human driver present at the scene within 10 minutes. And that's a federal regulation that people just like to pretend like doesn't exist. So because of this, and because we've actually, again, modeled our approach to the world that exists, not the world that we hope will exist, we're the only real company that has a commercially viable approach to being able to deploy in California and the rest of the country uh, with our human-led two-truck linked convoy. So when we say that we have a practical, pragmatic approach to the market, this is what we're talking about. We're not waiting for the federal regulations to be updated or supply chain partners to have their products ready or you know, our safety case to be completed, you know, hoping that it'll come up together um, with you know, sprinkling some magic AI dust. We're the only ones with the path to the market. And so when I'm when I get so excited about this, it's like finding out what? you won the there's lottery no, and just trying to no get AI to dust? Yeah, there is. There is AI. You can dust. Find, he knows, he knows all, AI no, no. Dust. no, Michael knows about AI dust. I he knows mean, all of the dust. He's got them all. Get out of here. But, but, <laughs> hey, Finch, I wanted to ask you. Your, your stock valuation jumps way up. A little bit for the reindeer, a little bit for Santa Claus, a little bit more for Santa Claus. No, uh, so Finch, there are all kinds of industry pressures and things going on, and they're affecting your potential customers as well, right? I mean, we got to worry about driver retention and parking and going green. How do you guys address all that kind of stuff, and how does it affect your business? Look, when and you were just talking about the hub-to-hub model. Every autonomous company, every autonomous trucking company is going to have to start with the hub-to-hub model, not because of the complexity of the world around them, but because you get two-thirds of the value of autonomous trucking just from being able to run that truck continuously. And the only way you can do that is with a hub-to-hub model, right? It's, so the value doesn't come from removing the human driver. It comes from being able to run that truck. You know, For us, it's up to 22 hours a day running back and forth on these routes and organizing the route so that you can have the trucks do that. You know, Trucks average operating 6.5 hours a day, and it's because, I don't know, Alan's covered this, of all the time that's wasted at the shipper's locations, either picking up a load or dropping it off, so truck drivers or those trucks are only working for 30% of the day. You get the value from running that truck nearly continuously. And so when we look at this, when we look at how it implies, uh, how it plays out, you can have dramatic increases to driver quality of life because you set up a hub to hub model, they get home every night, right? You can get a lot of the efficiencies from these routes because you're operating 
on key freeways and interstates. So with us, you get an increased bonus up to 22% fuel reduction and greenhouse gas emission because we have platoons that are running and you get that aerodynamic effect as part of our convoy. You can deploy at times of day that make more sense. So when you're talking about the ability to you know, really shape how these go, you can remove a lot of these different inefficiencies in the system by planning out the routes and utilizing the technologies to augment rather than replace the human drivers. You can create an autonomous truck in the future, but if you want one that actually saves the customer money, you're looking at the end of the decade. So by the time you actually take any drivers out of those trucks, well, what, are you, what are we talking, five years until even the yeah, second well, driver comes out? Let me tell you the something. Second oh, no, no, no. The second driver will come out. They'll be in the sleeper berth when we deploy, right? So our plan is for the end of next year. I'm saying when we move to driverless level four trucks with no human driver present, we're probably going to be the ones that do it first because everyone else is going to be waiting to complete their safety case, which means they're going to have to have suppliers that are willing to take on the potential liability that comes with black box AI systems where you can't describe if anything goes wrong, right? So you have problems with insurers in that case. You have the platforms that aren't ready. And we've seen this making news without naming names in recent weeks in big letters where they're saying, you know, the automated vehicle platforms aren't going to be ready until 2025 or beyond. So while all this is going on, we'll be deploying with customers, making money and generating the data needed to inform the future autonomous trucking systems. We're going to win in the short term and then we're going to dominate in the long term because we have the only path to market. And so we can develop from a bootstrap approach, not from a go raise money, sprinkle fairy dust and then hope that the solution gets here in time for you to go to market. Finch, before we let you go here, um, let's talk about that going to market, you know, this tech is starting to mature. People are starting to want to see some results from companies. Any contracts or any deals you care to share? Yeah. Well, I mean, so we recently announced our fourth real partner, Stevens Trucking, uh, based out of El Reno, Oklahoma. That puts us at 3,100 units. So when you look at Wilson Logistics, when you look at PGT Trucking, when you look at Christensen Transportation, and now Stevens Trucking, these are four actual signed contracts for actual trucks to be delivered on an actual timeline to real customers. That's significant, and that's very, very different from everybody else. It's not hard to get a pilot with somebody. They're just saying, like, yeah, you can pay us to run our cargo for us, and we'll treat it the same way we would any other truck. And sure, we'll learn from it and everything. As I say, autonomous trucking is so important that you want to participate, but it's also so important that you don't want to lock in your dance partners. We have dance partners. No one else does. When are you actually starting testing with uh, either Wilson, which I think your first, or PGT? Yeah. When are you actually starting runs with them? So PGT, we're running the routes because that's right out. That's essentially the route from Pittsburgh to Ohio onto Indiana. That was part of our announcement uh, with the VSSA in May that we were going to start running that soft launch. Uh, with Wilson, we're looking at running uh, out of Dallas on different routes uh, mid-next year. And so then we progress to the you know, hard launch or actual commercial deployment by the end of that next year. Uh, we use soft launch to help uh, make the final decisions in our supply chain partners for the go-to market partners. Uh, and once we harden that, then it's just a matter of ordering them, getting them produced and finishing the safety case, you know, providing the trucks to our customers and, you know, being able to remove that second driver. So we're still looking at the end of next year for actual commercial deployments when we turn those trucks over for actual commercial operations. Finch, thank you so much for your time today. Happy fourth birthday to you and the Locomation team. We'd love to see it. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, y'all. Yeah, we'll see you next year on your fifth and probably before then too. So take it easy, sir.
Our next guest is in studio. Michael Vincent, can you give him a hat and a shirt, uh, please? Over to Don Burnett. He's the co-founder. Oh, where we're going? You're going to have to walk right. over. There's Don Burnett. He's the co-founder and CEO over at Kodiak Robotics. What were you saying, Alan? Well, we told Thank him we gave him a hat. You, you did are. it. Appreciate it. I got a hat right there. There's a hat. There's a yeah, shirt right gave, in the hat. Gave him everything. Thank you. Yeah, put the right. camera on him. Why are they? It's why great. is the camera on us? Let's yeah, there the you hat. go. Yeah, there you go. What are they doing back there, guys? Yeah, fix that brim. That's nice. Don looks <laughs> right, good. Don, you look fantastic. I heard you went out with uh, Alan Adler for dinner last night. Where'd you guys go? Uh, we went to uh, what was it? Mayan kitchen. Mayan kitchen. Yeah, Mayan kitchen. That's right. Nice. Did you get the fajitas, man? I love when I see the fajitas come out. Sorry, what was that? Did you get the fajitas? You know, the sizzle comes out. Everyone starts looking around. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and a really good margarita as well. So, Well, that's, you know, that's like EV trucks, and that's like AV trucks right now. They're the fajitas, man. People moving them out. Everyone's looking around. Tell us a little bit about yourself, those who haven't met Kodiak Robotics. I heard you with Alan earlier, and we already got the origin story on the name. Apparently, it doesn't really have much meaning like in terms of autonomous trucking or anything like that you just happen to like bears yeah we just like bears we like the the strength of the name the ruggedness and uh you know it, it just felt it just felt right and when something feels right you you go with it so that's how that's how we that's how we got started and uh it's been four and a half years now we've been building our autonomous technology it's been a pretty exciting ride and uh, i think it's a it's a great time to be in this industry Nice stuff. So tell us a little about, about yourself and how you got into autonomy. I know you're a pilot. You were talking about that earlier. You're a pilot, and there was a Kodiak plane that actually is part of that motivation for that name as well. But yeah. what brought you into autonomous vehicles? Yeah, I've always been interesting, uh, interested in technology, um, and there were a couple of events in my life. I got into an accident when I was in, in undergrad in college uh, trying to— on the on the highway actually driving and i and i thought well this this should be safer so i decided to go into research uh, autonomous driving research back back about 14 15 years ago it's been a long time now uh, i got the opportunity to join the google self-driving car program uh, when it was uh, in its early stages i uh, worked there for a bunch of years started developing the tech moved into trucking started another trucking av company called auto went to uber for a couple of years and then uh, ended up starting kodiak back in 2018 so nice very very nice very, yeah very nice. he's a veteran guys you should have figured that out <laughs> oh is that right this guy's a veteran yeah. it's been oh, a while okay sweet <laughs> well, <you got laughs> well i you know for for you don i mean we keep talking i can always come up with something new but i'm gonna defer to these cats <laughs> well we got some great b-roll yeah we do have b-roll and let's look yeah, up look, look, let's look Good at this idea. test right here don can you narrate for us what are we looking at here i saw this on your linkedin i think it was around here in the southeast there it is mobile yeah. alabama what are you guys doing mobile alabama yeah so one of the things we've been pushing lately is really expanding across the united states so we started out in texas uh but we want to really push the technology as, as far as we can and, and now we're driving coast to coast and this is just a ride uh taking taking the viewers through the the life of an av truck right and it's actually quite boring but there's some interesting stuff we speed it up here and then we have a this vehicle on the shoulder our a system detects that at long range and makes a lane change to safely avoid that vehicle and then gets back into its lane kind of cruises cruises along the along the road and then uh, handles some merge cases like this one you're coming up here and then also eventually we get to uh, a bridge and then we go into a tunnel and that's that's really an, a, a kind of a stress test for this autonomy system because 
bridges are hard because there's not a lot of features around the road. You really just have the road itself. And this is where our lightweight mapping system comes in. And then, of course, right after this bridge, the, the system goes into uh, a complicated tunnel, which our autonomy system, of course, can handle uh, perfectly fine. Uh, and this is where you're going to lose GPS. You're going to get some dropout there. So if you depend too much on GPS, your system is going to really struggle in these types of conditions. And as you can see, the Kodiak driver system handles it just fine. So uh, you know, we change up the speeds, we're being cautious, we're being safe, driving in the right-hand lane, and cars just kind of pass uh, pass along uh, uh, b beside us. So it's... Uh, Don, Don, go go a little bit more into the into the mapping. I know we've written yeah. about it. I'm pretty familiar, mm -hmm. but I don't know how familiar you guys are. You're taking a different approach, this whole idea of high-definition mapping. Uh-uh. Don't need to know every tree right. billboard on the side of the road. Yeah, absolutely. So we don't, we don't use high-definition maps, so we don't we, we only map the lane level based information. So think about it as a connectivity layer for, for routing purposes and for understanding lateral positioning in, in the lane. And uh, that's really essentially the way humans do it. Think about the way you drive. You know where the lanes are. You know how to stay in your lane. You don't need to know exactly what precise sense, uh, uh, centimeter you are in the world relative to like some GPS location, right? Uh, and that's the way that our truck drives. You, we, our sensors see the lane, drives in the lane, uh, and then continues to, to, to go, go along the road. And then our map tells us where the exits are and how to route long distances, much the same way you might use Apple Maps or Google Maps on a long trip. Yeah, so we were talking earlier uh, about, uh, about this as, as well and, and, and driving in, in weather, right? Because we talked about the tunnels and the ability to work on the tunnels. You got this great balance between the two things. We talked a bit about weather and rain and snow and that type of stuff. Can you get into that a little bit? Sure. Our system is now driving day and night, and it's driving rain or shine. Uh, we're focusing on the southern United States for a reason. Uh, we, uh, we can handle rain. We can handle reasonable fog. We can handle inclement weather. And we're really pushing the boundaries there. Our sensors, uh, it's really about redundancy. You'll hear that word a lot when it comes to autonomy. So we have LIDAR, cameras, and radar that all have strengths and different uh, fundamental sensing properties that can cut through water, or cut through fog. For instance, radar goes through goes through those. Um, our cameras can see through through the, through the rain where the lidar is less good, and so we can use all the different sensing modalities to uh, to bring the best perception of the world around us, even in reduced visibility conditions. Of course, we do try to focus on areas where we think it's safe to drive, and our system can slow down if it needs to because there, there's limited um, visibility. And ultimately, if the conditions are just too bad or unsafe, even for humans to drive, then, of course, the truck can safely pull over to the side of the road, which we, we've also recently demonstrated. Don, one thing I've heard a lot today when we're talking about autonomous is increasing utilization, right? 2Xing, 3Xing utilization. But capacity is also so tied to freight rates. So my question is, what do you think this would do to the freight market over time? Would it drive rates down for shippers, but what would the impact be to carriers? What are your thoughts on that? It's an interesting question. So I think in the short term, you're gonna see autonomy applied to expedited freight, right? The folks who need their freight move very quickly. Uh, I think there's, a, there's a, an argument that autonomous trucks are gonna compete with some air freight, which I think is really exciting. Um, we, can, we can deliver it almost as fast for significantly cheaper prices. Uh, so the expedited, the expedited space is, is, is going to be where it really takes hold first. But then over time, as more and more autonomous trucks get out into the world, I think you will see those prices ultimately come down, which I think is, is pretty much good for everyone, particularly the, you know, the consumer. Interesting. So we're talking about the consumer and talking about public views here a little bit. 
How do you think that that's being communicated, and how do you think the view is and the acceptance of autonomous vehicle is changing in the mind of the of the general public? It depends on who you ask, of course. There are some people who are very skeptical, but a lot of people are very supportive. And I think as time progresses, we're seeing more and more support for autonomous vehicles. You're seeing more autonomy in the past car market. That is helping change people's perceptions for the better. Of course, there's always those one-off incidents that people like to really focus on. But by and large, I think autonomy is making our roadways safer. People are starting to realize that, and people are starting to really see the future of what the, the safety promise of this technology is going to deliver. And so, yeah, over time, I mean, you talk about, talk about as long as I've been in the space, like 10, 12 years ago, pretty much everyone I spoke to said, I'm crazy and this is never going to happen, not in their lifetime, et cetera. And now here we are, fast forward another 10 years, and it's, it's, it's practically here today. So I think the public acceptance is coming. Uh, there's always those skeptics, but I, I think that it's really, it's really becoming more socially acceptable. I know you don't like predictions, but you're in ten, 10 states. Congratulations. Little cowbell for that. What state 50? Who do you think is going to be the, the last holdout? Ooh, uh, the last holdout. That's a great question. I haven't really thought about that too much. I think from a regulatory standpoint, we're going to have some standardization, and that's not going to be a real impediment. Re- really, we're focusing on the southern portion of the United States because that's where the weather's more favorable. You have really strong freight corridors there. There's plenty of freight. There's plenty of trucks for us to fo- uh, focus on that. So uh, we will gradually move more northern. Obviously, Chicago is a major hub uh, for the country. Um, I'm not, I'm not certain on exactly kind of how, how much freight is really moving on those, uh, upper Northern Midwestern states, but I would imagine that's probably where we're going to see it, uh, see it the Bob Dylan's Highway 61 in Minnesota, probably not so much, right? Right. Probably not the first, you know, whether we get there first or Maine first, I'm not really sure. But Don, I want to ask you about the, the, the hub that you're working on with Pilot in Atlanta. That was what you announced when you announced uh, pilot's investment in the company, and, and we realize you've been working together for a while. How's that hub going to look, if you have any idea yet? Is, is it something that will look like a normal hub? Absolutely. So we're still in the in the planning phases. We're just developing that, that facility uh, with Pilot, who's been a great partner to us. We've been working with them for a very long time, really excited about the announcement of their investment in the company and uh, working with us on that infrastructure play, because that's going to be so crucial as we roll this technology out at scale. In Atlanta, well, we announced that we have been driving, uh, you know, with US Express, Dallas to Atlanta. That was an amazing five and a half day pilot where we showed incredible efficiency. We really want to make Atlanta a, a feature for Kodiak, because we think that the Atlanta corridor going to Dallas, going out to LA eventually, we talked about that earlier, Alan, it's going to be uh, a real key corridor for us. So we want to set up shop in Atlanta, and, and we're working on a facility just off the highway there to the west side of the city. And yeah, it's going to look just like any other truck stop. You're really not going to notice a large difference, with the exception of there's going to be some footprint for, for autonomous vehicles. We're going to do some trailer swapping. We're going to do some maintenance there. And uh, it's, it's really going to be a model of this, this hub and truck port of the future, we're hoping. Well, roll tide through Alabama. I'm sure that would make the previous guest happy, too, over there. Good luck with your testing. Thank you for coming out to Chattanooga. Have a safe trip back to Mountain View, and hopefully those uh, digits take down a, a good meter by the time he gets back there. That's yeah, great. Great great, having, uh, great being here, and uh, thanks for having me. Thanks, Tom. Take it easy. Awesome. Check it out. Now let's talk to Wiley Deck. He is the VP of Government Affairs and Policy over at PLUS. Wiley, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate this opportunity. 
You, you know, what's a really interesting question. I was looking at you and you look like someone who may follow politics just a little bit, being into government and regulatory affairs. And something that's coming up is the midterm elections. Does the public care enough about autonomy and EV at the moment for this to even factor into midterm elections? I don't, I don't think it's going to be a factor in the midterm elections, uh, but we are waiting to see what happens with FMCSA and the uh, confirmation for Robin Hutchins, uh, Hutchinson for the uh, administrator position, which will then push into uh, the regulations that FMCSA is considering over, uh, FM, over uh, autonomous vehicles and trucks. So, uh, Wiley, we, we just heard from Don Burnett, and he was talking about, you know, the, the disparity in some of the laws and regulations and testing and stuff like that for, for AV, right? Um, really calling for more uniformity. Do you think that there's a level to put that patchwork of different laws together? Well, I, I think at some point we do need to get to the uh, uh, situation of where we have a national framework uh, for the operation of these vehicles across state lines. But right now, it's not an impediment. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll push back on Finch a little bit. Uh, plus, we are uh, commercial, commercially available now. We have uh, customers. We're in trucks now. We have been uh, as of last year. And our system uh, can be operated across state lines uh, as a driver-in product currently as we collect those real-world miles. Yeah, um, but yeah, well, now the... Uh, Go ahead. Well, while well, I was going to say, I, I think the first autonomous truck, uh, uh, granted, it was a level four truck, kind of governed to level two to ADAS, uh, was yours uh, back in uh, a, a little over a year ago uh, out of Cupertino. And it was interesting because, you know, the drivers in California, you have to have your hands pretty near the wheel, even when you're doing what you're doing, right? So what's it going to take right. to get California to sort of lighten up a little bit? Well, I, I think progress is being made. We saw in their latest uh, announcement of the framework for autonomous vehicles in California. They did mention uh, goods movement. So I'm, I'm hoping that's a, a light at the end of the tunnel that will uh, allow us to move forward. And, and uh, as I said, uh, we're not, and as you said, we're not uh, constrained. We're, we are operating in California. We're operating in every state. Uh, so it, it's... It's a revolution. It's not a revolution. It's an evolutionary approach that we are taking uh, as we collect these real-world miles, those so-called edge cases that you can't simulate for, uh, in order to eventually get to the point to where you can pull the driver out. What kind of feedback are you getting from Amazon at this point? I don't know how many trucks you've actually delivered to them with the Plus uh, Plus Drive in them, but uh, what kind of feedback are you getting? Well, I, I can't talk uh, as to regards of what uh, feedback we're getting from, from them, but from our other customers, uh, it's, it's really good. Uh, the, uh, where the drivers are saying, if you take this away from me, uh, I'll, I'll leave. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of feedback, the NHTSA, they recently released some crash safety data, and this is going to play a big factor in regulators and in public opinion on all these things. What did you think of the data they released and the methodology behind it? Well, I think there are some challenges in the data that they released in that there, there's no context provided. Uh, it's just raw data and it's incomplete data, right? So we don't know how many vehicles are out on the road right now and when those systems are in operation. Uh, 
and how many miles those those systems have been in operation. Uh, so the data that we got out of NHTSA doesn't create that whole picture uh, that we really need to demonstrate how safe these vehicles are. Because uh, plus, we believe that these systems are going to be safer, more efficient, and create a, a better environment for uh, all the road users. What? Uh, go ahead. No, no, please. I was going to say, Wiley, when you worked with uh, 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 Ms. Martinez at, at FMCSA, and I know that I, I can't remember if you, you sort of succeeded Jim Mullen, who succeeded him as the acting director, but th- there was a lot of listening going on in those days uh, about autonomous vehicles. I remember going to one of the listening sessions back in Michigan, where I live, and you know it was interesting because it was all about understanding and learning. How is that playing out at the FMCSA level at this point? I realize you're not there anymore, but... No, no, uh, and I, but I've had conversations uh, with the folks there at the agency, and they're 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 listening, and they are working to understand uh, how these systems operate and how to integrate them safely into uh, our nation's highways. So the the uh, the work there is still continuing. Uh, not you know obviously we would like it to move a little bit faster, but. Uh, they are moving forward with that rulemaking. Uh, it's scheduled to come out in January of next year. And uh, at that point, it'll allow us to move further with the safe integration of these vehicles onto our roads. Yeah, so, so Wiley, we heard from Don Burnett earlier. We uh, mentioned that before, but he, he motiv- one of his motivations was he was in a car wreck and he thought this would be safer, right? Now, you have Europe that has really has some mandates there for these advanced driver systems. Uh, to make things safer. Should the U.S. be adopting this type of policy as well? Well, that, that would be nice. Uh, when I was at the agency, uh, you know, we were looking at all the crashes that were occurring, the fatal, especially the fatal crashes, and they kept going up. And we saw this as a potential to help uh, lower that, those number of fatal crashes and these technologies. So it, it would be nice to see. We've seen... Uh, the uh, I'll say the the uh, figuratively uh, the toe dipping in with the automatic emergency braking uh, requirement that's now going to move forward with uh, between NHTSA and FMCSA, and so we'll see how uh, that plays out. But it'd be nice to see uh, a requirement there because as as some of your other guests have said, the level four full drive route isn't for years. So in the meantime, let's start addressing crashes and, and those uh, issues now, and let's reduce those. And this technology, these technologies will help do that. Is this one of those things, too, where younger voters tend to be much more in favor of it? Like, I, mm. like I'm just looking at some of the stats on, yeah. like, learner's permits and stuff. Like, when I was 16 and a half in the 90s, like, getting a car was like, got to get a car, got to get a car. But now I hear, like, kids are waiting into their 20s to even get a license. Um, they don't seem to care about driving as much as the generation before or the one before that. I, I think that's uh, absolutely uh, the case. Uh, the younger generation, much more uh, tech savvy. Uh, and and these technologies like Plus is offering uh, provides a, an, a, an atmosphere of making the job safer, easier, and more intuitive in, in operation of the vehicle. And it it helps in the recruitment of these younger drivers, but absolutely uh, the younger drivers, uh, you know, they get used to Uber and Lyft and all the other ride 
share uh, uh, offerings that are out there and not have to drive anywhere. Yeah, my kids didn't want to drive a car as much as they wanted a smartphone anyway, and that's a delay. I told you this isn't the Apple 14 event that's on the other channel. I'm sorry, dude. Alan. The iPhone is the GTO. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate you giving some insight into what's going on. I I will uh, add to Go Knights UCF, uh, Code 2017 National Champions with, with Alabama. (laughs) <laughs> all right. All right. He's got there a prediction go. up here. There you Appreciate go. it, Wiley. Good luck to you and the team. Yes. Take care. What, what about your daughters? You get teenage daughters. Are they are they getting their permits? Are they bugging you for a car? Uh, my, no, I have a 21-year-old daughter, and then I have a 10 and an 8. Yeah, so, a 10 and a little. Yeah. Yeah. Now, like I just said that, yet? Huh? 21-year-old got a license? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. She has, and she's a UC. She's a knight, by the way. She oh. just graduated from UCF. Right. But I was just saying, the iPhone is the new GTO. Oh, we'll talk yeah, about probably. that later. Okay. Yeah. Well, it all comes full circle. Now we've got Matt Horton, CEO over That's at Volterra. Scary. And he's going to bring some in- interesting insight here, too, because he has gleaned insight from his charging networks. You put all these EVs out there, but what are you gonna, how are you going to charge them, right? How are you going to make them go? That's the answer everyone still wants to know. Well, good thing Matt's here with us today. Matt, thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. Glad to be here with you. I was, you know, I was looking into the background of what Volterra does, and it's really interesting. It looks like you're almost trying to build uh, like rest stops for autonomous vehicles. Yeah, look, in this country and around the world, we've got a huge challenge ahead of us. Lots of OEMs and customers are moving toward electrification, uh, but we do not have the infrastructure today to support that. Uh, part of our challenge is that we have to rebuild uh, our, our grid. We have to rebuild the grid edge so that it can handle all of these new electric vehicles coming on. And that's a big part of what Volterra is in business to do, working with customers and OEMs. Uh, We are finding the best pieces of real estate out there for charging. Uh, We invest in those properties. We uh, bring power to the site, handle all the the permitting and everything to get a full charging setup uh, ready and then uh, operate and maintain in the long run so that uh, we really take all of the complexity and the challenge off of our customers' plate and uh, uh, make it as easy as possible for them to make the transition to electric. So, Matt, it's nice to see you in person. I think we must have just talked on the phone when, when I wrote about you a few weeks back. But it's, yeah. it's fascinating to me because you actually come out of a data center business. I mean, you more or less operated in stealth mode for about a year. Is that correct? Before you sort of announced your presence yeah. in the world? Yeah, uh, we, we did. Uh, there's a, a great company in the data center space uh, called Edge Connects uh, that I've uh, been fortunate to partner with. Uh, so they're, they're a partner. We've got a great capital partner in a, a big global firm called EQT that's providing a significant amount of capital uh, to, to build this out. Uh, but we learned a lot uh, working with the data center company about what the needs are in that market, how to scale, how to get power where it's needed in, in large amounts. Uh, And importantly, uh, we learned a lot about the data side of uh, the autonomous vehicle needs. Uh, Most of my background is in traditional electric vehicles. Uh, The the autonomous vehicle fleets have uh, completely different needs. And we found actually a great matchup uh, where customers, uh, they need a couple of things. They need to get their vehicles recharged, but they also have to offload a ton of data. So we've been able to integrate some, you know, kind of micro data centers at some of these uh, facilities to help our autonomous partners uh, be able to get both their power and data needs taken care of in one place. 
The the one thing, and I know you haven't been specific, it's like up to a billion dollars or thereabouts, but you have real money to play with in the sense of building out this thing. We have so many companies now, and we started out the day here at the AEV Summit talking about SPACs and talking about in some ways how disappointing they've turned out to be. Uh, but you have a, an investor that's willing to spend some coin, and that makes it very different for you, doesn't it? Yeah, look, many of us have been in the company. We've been around this industry, around charging and around EVs for for decades now. Uh, and we're very excited. We think this is the, the perfect moment to be coming to the table with, uh, you know, with a lot of capital to deploy. We've got a, a confluence of real customer interest, vehicle availability. We've got teams of people like ours who know how to deploy infrastructure at scale. And now with public funding being available for the infrastructure and significant interest from groups like EQT to put billions of dollars of equity capital to work in these opportunities, the time is right. And Volterra, again, we're, we're, we, we feel like we're really uh, well positioned hitting the market at just the right time. Uh, and uh, yes, we got, we're, it's great to, to be able to, to scale up with the level of capital that we've got available today. Now, you come out of Rivian and Proterra. It wasn't lost in me, and I even wrote it, that Proterra and Volterra rhyme, right? Ooh, you are. <laughs> I'm quick. I'm Unbelievable. Am I quick or what? You are I'm on quick. top of it today. Right. To, 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 make it, to make it even worse, uh, the company before that was Propel. So I, I haven't strayed very far from uh, you know, energy from, drinks. Those energy, <laughs> energy drinks. Here, well, here's some more inside baseball. He's a BYU guy. Are, are you oh. more Steve Young or Ken Jennings? Oh. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, well, Steve's a friend. Uh, we go back a, a ways. And I, I remember you know, growing up uh, in the, the Steve Young era. So uh, I'm a big fan of his. Oh, there you go. Uh, there Steve you Young, go. he used to run a lot. Did you learn anything from running these, uh, from running charging so far? What are the needs of trucks that, that we need to know? Yeah, you know, the, one of the biggest things uh, for, especially in the autonomous space, uh, is the recognition that your infrastructure is not software. Uh, you know, you can't put a sprint, you know, together to, to work on your code for a week and fix it. Uh, infrastructure's got to, it takes years in some cases to get the right level of infrastructure deployed where you need it. So, uh, you know, you, my advice to folks out there in this space is that you've got to be thinking about your charging infrastructure early. It's going to take at least 18 months probably to get the level of power you need for these big, heavy vehicles. Hmm. Uh, my time at Proterra, yeah, we were we were uh, you know, building heavy duty bus buses that needed very high uh, rates of power. Uh, it's a completely different ball game when you're moving heavy trucks. So some lessons uh, pour over from the light duty passenger car space, but uh, you really have to think very differently about infrastructure. You have to start early. Matt, you you mentioned it. I thought you mentioned it anyway, and that is that we have a grid that really needs rebuilt too. It isn't just the eighteen months to get power to my door. It's where's that power coming from? Um, are you working on that as well? I mean, sort of grid resiliency or grid rebuild, or where where does that fit yeah, in? Yeah, absolutely. There is a lot of work that's needed, uh, both at the local distribution level to get the power where we need, but we also uh, we've got to bring a lot more power onto the grid in general. The good news there is you know, there are a lot of developers out there that are building uh, new solar, wind, and other renewable resources uh, to bring, bring those online. A lot of uh, stationary storage as well uh, to complement that. Um, but overall, you know, we, we've got to, as we electrify our vehicles, we've got to create a lot more electricity. And 
Uh, we really want to be working hand in hand with our partners to make sure they're getting clean, cost effective power uh, so that uh, we're, we're able to invest in and, and uh, develop more renewable resources as well uh, in this this transition. So, yeah, there's a lot more that goes into it than just dropping a charger at a site. You've got to really think about the source of your power, where it's coming from. And again, the good news is the grid's getting cleaner and cleaner while you know fossil fuels continue to have uh, you know, challenges around their uh, carbon and other footprints. So, uh, yeah, we, we, we definitely care a lot about where the power is coming from, how it's getting to the site. And that's, uh, that's something our customers care about too. Are, are you, uh, are you at all, uh, I'm sure you're aware of it. Are you a fan at all of this idea of onboard generation, such as what Hylian is doing with the RNG based, uh, truck at this point? I mean, do you see that, uh, the drop-in fuel, solution as part of the solution? I mean, you don't need, if if I can make electricity on the truck, I don't need as much from the grid, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, and you know, companies like Hylion, I think, are doing very interesting things. Uh, I've, I've long been an advocate that we're going to need all sorts of cleaner uh, fuel choices uh, on this journey. Fortunately, though, you know, electric vehicles, whether it's you know, hydrogen or battery, uh, are becoming so capable now and the the pace of innovation is so fast uh, that I think we are going to be moving toward a fully electrified transportation system very quickly. Uh, but yeah, I, I think there are you know, in this interim period there are lots of great opportunities to uh, to do all sorts of new power generation, whether it's at sites where people will charge or in some cases onboard vehicles using using very clean fuels. Uh, so you know I think we're still in a in a phase where lots of innovation is needed. Uh, but importantly, I think we are quickly starting to move toward that electrified future across trucking and across all sectors of transportation. Matt, thank you so much for your time today. Great words. Thanks for joining us at the uh, Electric and Autonomous Vehicle Summit here on FreightWaves. You bet. Thanks, guys. Good to see you. Appreciate it. Good stuff out of him. Now, Michael Vincent, you, I mean, not Michael Vincent. You're done for the day. I'm done. I am Michael Vincent. He's still not done. I'm for not the day. done for the day. He is not done. Can he I was working double time on our show today. Can I borrow the same? As long as yeah, it comes are back. you going to staple your skin? No, I wanted to put it on the desk. Go Gunner Miller style and start stapling your forehead. No. <laughs> start stapling like blood come down the side. You guys want to see that, right? Glue only. You want to see Glue him on the forehead. You got a fireside chat coming up. Early experiences with battery electric fleets. Should we tune in? Yes, you should. And here's why. It's the best 10 minutes of the day because it's compact. Wow. Yeah. We've got two guys. We thought we were going to have them together. They, it looks like, and, and Aaron did a great job pulling this together, but but, but it's going to look like it's one conversation, but it's really two separate conversations. Well, she did such a great job. Why'd you just give it away? Can I take that back? I know. This is yeah. why it doesn't work. Anyway, yeah, it doesn't work out. Yeah. No. All right, Reverse anyway, that. Delete yes, that. You should. You should tune in because these guys both got a lot of trucks at very low cost from the state of California. They had to put some money in, but nothing like what they really cost. Wow. Uh, 50 trucks a piece uh, wow. for them. So electric you'll, hear, you'll hear what's going on. Hmm? Electric trucks. Electric trucks. Wow. Freightliners, Volvos. Is California giving the electricity too? Uh, they're helping them with the charging. Yep, helping install the charging. Sweet. How about X by Wire technology? That's what's coming up next. Yeah, oh, that's what I what hear. What is X by Wire technology? I have no idea. Me either. Oh, it's regenerative. If you don't know, then you got Oh, that. Okay. That yeah. Oh, it's yeah. regenerative. Yeah. Four, four, four wheels steering. This is actually the one session you're not yeah. on. It's, that's right. So, oh, oh, I know, and I know Dandy. Yeah, I know what he's doing. It's cool. Okay, well, if you Watch missed that. any of these sessions or you want to relive the magic that was what the truck or anything you heard here, maybe our keynote from earlier, you can find all of these on demand. You can find what the truck, just look up what the truck wherever you get your podcast from on audio. Um, look up Freightcast. You can find every single 
the Freightways podcast there, including all of the sessions from this event, What the Truck as well. Download the Freightways TV app. You can watch this whole entire thing in stunning HD, beautiful living color. And uh, what else we got going on? Find me on Twitter at Timothy Find him at Vincent the Dude. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Nobody gets to do this but you. Alan, any parting words for our people here? Stay tuned, everybody. We got more to come. Don't be a stranger. Tell them how to be, Michael. Hey, peace and love. Spread it everywhere.